Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. I think it's the best show on the air ever that has been. It's weird how good it is. It's so strange. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, October 26, 2022, and this is the Bob Seska interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 645 of the Biden-Harris administration, 13 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska, Twitter, BobSeska underscore go, and our Patreon is BobSeskaShow.com. If you listen to only one interview show of mine, let it be this one. Political strategist Simon Rosenberg is here today with some much-needed optimism about where we are with the midterms. I guarantee you will feel a hell of a lot better about November 8th after you listen to Simon today. Don't get complacent, of course. We still have to leave everything on the field, but still, there are some positive indicators in the early vote and previous special elections. They're getting lost in the cable news horse race narrative, so get ready. You can follow Simon at SimonWDC on Twitter, and the website for his think tank is NDN.org. Meantime, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at BobSeskaShow.com. All right, here's my talk with the great Simon Rosenberg. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one of the reasons my girlfriend Kimberly Johnson loves having you on her show is your optimism. But everything that you say that's positive on Twitter is all backed up by numbers. It's not just rose-colored glasses. You're not just painting the story with a an artificially positive spin. Everything is uh, well-sourced with the facts, right? Yeah, look, we have to be glass half full. I mean, it's just in life in general, right? It's Mm -hmm. you're just live a happier life if you can see the positive in things. And I think that for whatever reason, and we could have a long conversation about this, the bummer of 2016, the the nightmare of the arrival of Donald Trump, the whatever it is, we uh, pessimism and um, has over is become too powerful uh, a force in our in our family. Mm -hmm. And and what I have been trying to do this year is I've been sort of, I, I mean, look, I, I worked for Bill Clinton 30 years ago. Yeah. He believed that optimism was the most powerful force in politics. 
it was really it was essential to his candidacy and yeah he was president the, the, fir- the yeah. first candidate who used hope as a campaign right. message it right. wasn't it wasn't and, barack obama it was you guys in right. 1992 yeah and, and bill clinton actually grew up in a town called hope in arkansas right. Right. which is almost unbelievable right to think yeah. about but it was the <laughs> idea that we can be better tomorrow was you know was the essential part of the clinton argument right mm-hmm. which is despite it all right yeah. we can make things better and he is right. I mean, the country is far better today than it was in, in so many ways. But I think what's important now for Democrats is that I don't know um, how this sort of pessimism has became so prevalent, but it's critical now to recognize the kind of I, I joke today on Twitter that we, Democrats have to start using more declarative sentences and stop using but and however <laughs> so much. And Congressman Gallego, Ruben Gallego, responded and said, you know, we've got to stop making Republican arguments for them, right? We have to be better about making our arguments for us. And that's what I, you know, somebody who worked in the television news business and, um, you know, and grew up in modern, you know, the, you know, sort of modern communications I do believe, and also I was a guest on Fox News for 17 years. I did thousands wow. of appearances on Fox. Mm-hmm. And I, whatever the question was, I always would start by saying, well, let me tell you how I see it. And I would put out something positive and to, lay, to start with an engagement where I wouldn't let them define the engagement as being negative. And I think that we have to learn how to do that ourselves. I think at this point, given the stakes in the election, given the stakes of what's happened to the Republican Party, the kind of pessimism and anger and frustration that exists is self-indulgent, frankly, in the Democratic Party. We don't, we just don't have any, there's no time. It's a waste of time and energy. We just need to be working as hard as we possibly can. This is a very close election. It may be the closest election that I've ever really been part of, maybe with the exception of the 2000 election. Mm -hmm. And and I just don't think anybody has any idea what's going to happen, which is why, (laughs) you know, we just have to put our heads down, vote early, Make our calls, our texts, you know, our door knocking. Give as much money as we can, and we got to end strong here. And I and I'm still, I would still rather be us than them when it comes to the election. Going back to what you said about appearing on Fox News for 17 years, clearly you see a political benefit, a persuasive benefit in entering that bubble. Is that something we should be doing more often? Because I know there's a lot of debate on the Democratic side. Should we just ignore yeah. Fox News or should we participate in there? Is there any way to get onto Fox News and, and have an effect? Uh, can you really move the needle by going on Fox News? I know Pete Buttigieg is doing it all the time. Yeah. And he's really, really effective at it. I, I think it's really changed. Fox has changed. It used to be that you could go on Fox and say your piece and you know you would debate with the conservative and everything would be in sort of a conservative frame. But- it wasn't, it wasn't a, um, you know, you could get your point across. And, yeah, and yeah. my view and what I told people at Fox, as long as I get to say my piece, right, I'm going to keep coming back. And I was never paid, by the way, I was never, I, I didn't want to be paid by Rupert Murdoch. I hmm. didn't think it was appropriate. And yeah, I showed that for a long time, you could have constructive, positive engagement. Uh, and I felt it was important for Fox viewers to see reasonable Democrats and also, for me, it made me better at my job, right? I was confronting and dealing with conservative arguments, you know, three times a week on live television. You know, when the stakes were high, you couldn't make any mistakes. And so I feel I felt it really made me better at the work that I did. And so I loved it. It was like working out for me. But then Fox changed. After Roger Ailes left and Trump got elected, uh, we went from being people on the other team to being enemies. 
And it became very advers- far too adversarial for it. Yeah. And I quit. I just quit on my own in 2018. Hmm. And Fox now isn't fair and balanced as it used to be. They've actually dropped that as a slogan. And there's very few slots for Democrats to come on. And they're usually in the most you know, adversarial possible you know, construct. And so, yes, I do think like Beto O'Rourke is doing in this election that you have to go and contest votes wherever they are. Yeah. And we can't, you know, I'm an old war room guy. I mean, the basic premise of the war room was that you had to win the information game every day. You had to get your positive story out. And then when they attacked you, you had to rebut it right away because the premise was that rebutted attacks that are not rebutted stick in people's minds. And I think that, you know, we have to be, I think in general, Bob, uh, we, we need to be, we have to be more aggressive in, mm-hmm. as a party. I think that we... Sometimes there's the idea that we you can be aggressive and be an advocate for yourself without being an asshole, right? There's a yeah, line yeah. there, and we have to find that line better, and we have to try harder to bring, you know, Clinton used to describe people who didn't support him as people who are not yet my supporters, right? And um, and I th- and I think we have to have that view. We have to win over more folks. Uh, in the coming years to get to where we want to be as a national party. Right. It's 30 years on since the war room, since 1992. Uh, Do you think the days of normalcy in politics are over, or are you hopeful that we might end up clawing back some sense of stability in our politics? I I mean, only, only if we win, (laughs) you know, I mean, we, we have to, we have to win and win and win and make the Republican party view MAGA as a political dead end, and so that they depart, they leave MAGA behind and return to being something more like a conventional Western center-right, mm-hmm. you know, political party, which they aren't anymore. And, and you know, the threat that we have is not the Republican Party, it's that the Republican Party has been overtaken by extremists and extremism, and, and that it's our, it's why we need, I think one of the most interesting projects ahead of us for the next few years is that we need to find common cause and create some kind of working relationship with the people we used to call never Trumpers, the anti-MAGA Republicans, um, and formally bring them into our coalition to Mm -hmm. expand our coalition, right? We, we got 52% of the vote in the last two elections. Republicans got 46%. MAGA has never gotten more than 47% in the three elections since Trump won the nomination. You know, what we need to do is we need to try to get our number up to 54, 55, by entering into this coalition with Liz Cheney and Bill Kristol mm-hmm. and Michael uh, Steele and Joe Scarborough and others who are no longer Republicans, but they're not necessarily Democrats, and they may never become Democrats, by the way. I mean, this is, and that's okay, that we need to have a temporary arrangement, as we saw during the January 6th committee hearings, where you know the Democrats and Liz Cheney worked wonderfully together to defend our democracy. Um, and, and I think that that's going to be an area of, opportunity for us, Bob. And it gets to the core of what you're talking about. I mean, I've had extensive conversations now with people like Bill Crystal and Michael Steele and um and and others in the in that world. And in part they trust me because they saw me on Fox News for years. They saw me being respectful to conservatives, mm-hmm. even though I disagreed with them. And so I have, you know, some chits stored up in that regard. <laughs> um and and so I'm optimistic that we, you know, we need to be creative about this. This is something that's an important party-wide project, um, you know, and I think they're they're ready to enter into some kind of coalition with us. I mean, if we were in a parliamentary democracy, like most democracies in the world, that group of Republicans would have split off and created their own party 
that party would have joined our party in a coalition. Yeah. Liz Cheney would have gone into our cabinet, right? But because of the our system, we don't really have a, a way of doing that. And we're going to need to invent it. We're yeah. going to need to do something interesting together with them. Even if we have a disappointing midterm, we lose a chamber, this is about, you know, the next four, six, eight years. I, I think it's, I think the time that we need to thoroughly defeat MAGA is going to be, unfortunately, over several election cycles. I don't think this is going to happen quickly. And, and that's why, you know, we have to be steel, steely eyed about this and recognize that, you know, we've got to do the best we can here, but mm -hmm. we also have another election coming up in two years. And, you know, we're going to be battling these guys for a long time. There's absolutely a benefit to welcoming never Trumpers into our coalition. And one of the reasons is they prioritize winning. I think a little bit more often Democrats often prioritize policy and that's fair. I think that is effective in some ways, but a priority on winning elections is something that I think the never Trumpers bring back to the table as well as the ability to know where the weaknesses are in the current Republican Party, just based yep. on experience. And these are all valuable things that I think they're not necessarily missing on the Democratic side, but they may be a little bit lacking in terms of how we uh, certainly approach elections. So in that regard, that's enormously beneficial to the Democratic side. And I don't know why anyone would kind of sneeze at that and say, well, we don't, we don't need that. We don't need to join with them. They're, you know, they're traitors. They're responsible for the Iraq war. Why yeah, would we want right. to join up with them? Well, we want to win elections because the stakes are so high, yeah. as you've been saying. So, yeah. And, yeah. And Bob, let me just tell, let me tell your listeners, I, let me tell you why I'm optimistic and why I would rather be us than them when it comes yeah. to this election. Let me go through a couple of things. Sure. First of all, we've had, this has been a good week of polling for us. I mean, we just, if you go to 538, uh, all the tracks that have been released this week, with the exception of one, have been either, you know, the Republicans haven't led in any of them, except in the Rasmussen track where Democrats actually gained four points. It's still a little bit Republican, mm -hmm. but we gained four points. There's now three weekly tracks that have shown us gaining three points, three points, and four points, including a very influential one, the Economist YouGov poll, which is considered to be one of the best polls in American politics, showed us gaining four points this week from last week. So this idea that the election has sort of tipped and has moved towards the Republicans is no longer true. Hmm. It may have been true a week ago, but it isn't true anymore. And it's important that we work to correct this national narrative. The second thing is, as you all know, we had very good polls in Pennsylvania this week. We had some good polls in, in, uh, in Nevada as well, um, you know, that showed things being a little bit better in both states than, than previous polling. So very good polls there. And we had a good poll in Wisconsin as well, showing the race dead even. The next reason I'm really optimistic is that our candidates have more money than their candidates do. And the reason that matters is that, you know, there's something in American politics called the lowest unit rate. Candidates pay far less money for an ad than an outside group does. So, for example, in Las Vegas, there was a study done last week that a candidate ad, a single ad, cost $21,000. If you're a super PAC, that same ad is $150,000. That means that for if we spend $150,000 and the Republican super PAC spends $150,000, our ad runs seven more times mm -hmm. than, than the super PAC ad. So the Republicans are spending more money than we are in the final 
two weeks, but we may actually put more ads on the air, which is really all that matters, right? Because we were, because of our national grassroots, giving our campaigns huge amounts of money, they have more money than the Republican candidates. Third, the reason I'm really optimistic is the early vote numbers are really encouraging. It's just, it's just, it's just true. Yeah. I mean, we are, we are early vote is up over 2018, um, which was a, you know, historic high turnout election, the highest midterm in a hundred years. We're, we're seeing the early vote is tracking above the 2018 numbers. And also, you know, we're doing better than both 2018 and 2020. The electorate is more democratic in, than it was in 2018 and 2020. So the mm-hmm. electorate is bigger and it's more democratic. We have a big, more, a slightly bigger piece of a, of a bigger pie. Um, and let me give you a, a great, my, I just published this data on my, on my Twitter feed Yeah. at this, according to uh, target early, which has the best and most comprehensive data on the early vote. Um, we, at this point in 2018, Republicans had about 200,000 more votes than we did. Um, and, and in ter- across the whole country wow. right now, we have a million point eight more votes than they do. Holy we have almost, crap. So, wow. so we, we're 2 million votes. We have 2 million more votes at this point than we had net right over them than yeah. we had four years ago. And, and what's happening with the early vote is let me make sure your audience knows and I'll be done with my happy, my happy backup full talk. Is that because I think this is really important. And as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, I've been going crazy about the early vote. And it's important that everyone listening votes as early as they possibly can. It the early vote matters, and here's why. Let's say you have enough money to turn out a hundred people on election day. And that's it. Your resources, yeah. the capacity, and 50 people vote before election day. Mm-hmm. That means those 100 people you're turning out on election day is 150 votes, not 100 votes, right? So the way to think about this is by early by voting early, you're allowing Democratic campaigns to take you off the GOTV list, move to people who are less frequent voters, which is really important in a midterm election because mm-hmm. there's much more, and and get them to turn out to vote. So by you voting early, you're creating higher Democratic turnout. Yeah, and and so. That's part of what I think is beginning to kick in now. And, and the DNC this year, I just talked to the guy running all the grassroots stuff at the DNC, Roger Lau, a few minutes ago. And the DNC has spent close to $100 million this cycle growing the capacity on the grassroots level with the state parties and with the campaigns to take advantage of exactly what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. which is that in this end, we're now doing GOTV, not for 24 hours, but for two weeks. Donald Trump's party has decided to do GOTV for 24 hours. Well, that was that was stupid, right? And and so we have a huge advantage now by seeing this early vote coming in so strong, it creates a virtuous cycle, which I think is going to mean that our vote is going to be higher than many of the polls uh, had anticipated. So yeah, that's yeah. that's the summary of my optimistic you on the election right now. Well, it's so valuable because I think for those of us who follow politics through Twitter and other social media, sometimes that bit of information doesn't make it through because it's not sexy enough or whatever, what the DNC is doing on the ground, the go TV effort. Yeah. Plus these target early numbers are just astonishing to me. I'm looking at this tweet that you posted. Uh, was it two days ago? And yeah. not only are Democrats overperforming across the board, across the United States, but also in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Wisconsin. But astonishingly, 
given the fact that the Republicans are the underdogs coming in during a year in which they typically will gain seats in Congress, they are actually underperforming across the board between 2020 and right now. What do you attribute that underperformance to, where the Republicans yeah. just seem to be lagging, I don't know, four, five, six points behind 2020? Right. So listen, the real question in this election, that, so in 2020, a lot of political commentators and pollsters got burned because the electorate was more Republican than polling was suggesting. And hmm. so the sort of the bias coming into this election was to sort of think, well, you know, last time the electorate was two to three points more Republican than we thought. So, you know, if I see it even, that means, you know, it's probably two to three percent more Republican. There was sort of a bias that there was this hidden Republican vote, right? No, okay. That the that the polling wasn't picking up for whatever reason, whether it was shy Trump voters. I mean, there's a lot of different theories about what happened, but there was sort of this been this bias that, you know, this was going to be a red wave year. The inflation was too high. Biden's approval was terrible. And then we learned it really wasn't a red wave year. And then Roe happened. And then what, and this is really important for your listeners, probably the most exciting thing that's happened. And the thing that keeps me most optimistic is that there were five House special elections in the months after Roe ended. And in those five elections, we outperformed our 2020 number in those elections by seven points on average. In the New York 19 race, which which we won, which nobody thought we were going to win, we were losing that race in our own polling by three to four points on election day, hmm. and we won by two and a half points. Oh. In Kansas, the margin was even bigger. So in actual elections, not polling, and actual elections matter more than polling, right? It's how people vote. There's been a hidden Democratic vote. We've been overperforming polling. We've been overperforming expectations. And the question really was, in this election, was would that dynamic that we saw happen in Alaska and in New York and in Kansas, right, would it continue through the general election? And so far, the, the early vote data suggests that it is, um, and that, you know, we're seeing Democrats overperforming polling and expectation because Democrats are fired up and ready to go, because the, the combination of the January 6th committee hearings, the ending of Roe, the extremist abortion restrictions, Trump's just general venality and malevolence that is thrown in our face every day, uh, the extremism of the Republican Party and MAGA, it reminded the anti-MAGA majority that voted in such overwhelming numbers in these last two elections about why they had voted against MAGA. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the key now for us is to continue um, to uh, work as hard as we can to continue to spread positive sentiment and good news. Um, and because I think in a time when people are scared about the future of their country, there's a limit to how much fear is a motivator here. I, yeah. I think we have to balance the fear that we all feel with a sense that there really is, that we can do something positive and constructive about it, not mm -hmm. just wallow in the darkness and the worry and the concern. And, and, and of course we can. And right. we just saw it. We picked up two house seats that nobody thought we would pick up. Right? Mm -hmm. We're, you know, we're leading in states that nobody thought we would lead in. We're competitive in states that nobody thought we'd be competitive in. Let's be very clear. Six months ago, no one thought we had a shot, and we got a shot here. The glass is half full. It's incredible where we are. It's a testament, frankly, to the grassroots of the Democratic Party, who've given us the can our candidates the money that they've needed to compete in a very tough environment. And it's a testament to the hard work 
of of Democrats all across the country that have are doing the work, right? They're early voting, they're making their calls, they're doing their texting, and they're and they're you know creating energy that that we need to be able to win, close strong, and win this thing. Okay, for just a second, let's talk after party. Every Friday, Kimberly Johnson and I record a fourth Bob Seska Show podcast for the week. But this one's totally different from the usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. The Friday after party podcast is loaded with all the politics you want, while also including uncensored, completely obscene conversations about sex, drugs, movies, television, our personal lives, all the crap we can't get away with on the free shows. So please help support this podcast by subscribing to our Friday after party for just 10 bucks per month and bonus, you're also going to get two Shadow Docket shows every damn week included in that level of support. That's bobseskashow.com or just click the all caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. Thank you. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Bob Seska. Let's say you're a pollster. And you're looking at the current numbers right now, certainly some of the aggregators, Nate Silver and so on, and you're seeing, uh, you know, a certain set of results being forecasted. But at the same time, you also see, as you were saying, the results of all these special elections where Democrats have overperformed significantly. How do you square that? If you're a pollster, how do you square the reality of the special elections? The reality of these early vote numbers, which are astonishing, I mean, Wisconsin with Republicans underperforming by 11 points, my God, how do you square that with the poll numbers that you're seeing at the same time? I know a lot of my audience is constantly questioning the validity of polls, and I think for good reason. Let me me talk about that, because I address this a lot when I speak, is that, so first of all, the, the states that we're doing really well in right now are Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, really encouraging data in those states. Three states where we're not doing as well as we need to be, but not by a lot, but just not as well as other states are Arizona, Nevada, and North Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. We got to keep an eye uh, on those states. But on and it isn't like we're doing badly. We just need to be doing better, right? I mean, yeah. the way to think about it. And there's time. I and mean, there's time. And Nevada had a crazy windstorm on the first two days of early voting and basically <laughs> nobody nobody voted. I mean, that's what that's part of the reason why this early voting and vote by mail thing happens is you can have bad weather events, you can have the electricity grid can go down on election day, right? And you want to give people the option of voting early. So I, I do think that we're seeing, you know, really some very positive signs. For me, in some ways, the most positive of all the things I'm seeing is Wisconsin because the, yeah. you know, we're 
trailing in the polls there. And, and recently, Barnes has been struggling a little bit. And, you know, we have a phenomenal party chairman in Wisconsin um, who's now been there for several cycles and knows the state. And, you know, just the data coming out of there early is very encouraging. I'm, I, and, and let's see. I mean, we need to win, you know, some combination of, you know, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, and Wisconsin. We need to try to win all four. And, you know, we're doing, you know, the Georgia numbers are also very strong. I mean, really, really impressive early vote numbers for the Democrats in Georgia, encouraging uh, numbers. On the issue of polling, let me say this. Mm -hmm. Polling is a, a, it's a, it's a suggestion. It's a moment. It's a snapshot in time. It's not a predictor of anything. It can change, you know, an election can change on a dime. And the election, the polls weren't wrong in 2016 because the elect, what happened was the election changed at the end. And the, and the actual national polls at the end were only off by a single point. So we didn't have bad polling in 2016. We didn't have bad polling in 2018. But in 2020, there was definitely, you know, we thought the election was going to be better than it was. Even though we won and we flipped the Senate, we thought it was going to be even better. And there are questions now that part of what's happening, if I can just do this very simply for your you know, for your listeners without going into the 10 minute discussion of this, which would bore everybody, <laughs> is that we have a lot of new voters in our, we, we've seen an enormous expansion of the electorate in the last two elections. We had historic turnout in 2018, historic turnout in 2020. And what that means is that the art of predicting who's going to vote is now harder than it was. Yeah. It just it, it's there's more complexity because we have so many new and irregular voters in the system now more than anybody. I mean, here's an amazing statistic that I just saw from a group called Catalyst. They in 2020, 40 percent of the people who voted in Nevada had not voted in Nevada in the presidential election in 2016. Wow. Yeah. No, that's a crazy number. Yeah. Right. Like so it means that you're dealing with an entirely new electorate new people, how do you know who's going to vote? How do you know that they're there? And so I, I think that that's one piece of it is that we're in a period where polling is going to be more bouncy and more uh, less accurate, perhaps, mm -hmm. than it's been in the past because of this enormous influx of new and irregular voters, which makes you know understanding who's really going to vote much harder than it used to be when there was a more static electorate. The second thing that is also we're seeing play out in this election is that mm -hmm. polling of Hispanics is very hard. Polling of young people and Hispanics is hard because just finding them, reaching them, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 the percentage of Hispanics and young people in the electorate is growing. And Hispanics have a, a, a there's a particular problem with polling Hispanics, which is if you're a Spanish speaker, primarily a Spanish speaker, you don't respond to English polling and Spanish speakers are more democratic than English speakers. And so if you poll Hispanics only in English, you're going to get a sample that's that's much too Republican, which is part of the reason why you've seen this cycle. The polling with Hispanics has been really all over the place. Like, I mean, crazy variances in the polling. Just in Texas, there have been polls in the last month with Abbott up four with Hispanics. And then yesterday, Univision dropped a poll showing Beto up 30 Right. So how do you get that kind of difference? And it's part of what I was just describing. So, yes, you have to take all polls with a grain of salt, which is why what I do with polling is I look at the polling averages on 538. I think to me, it's the best uh, place to go uh, uh, looking at averages. And you have to look at trends. 
you know, if things are moving all in the same direction, that's meaningful. And so, for example, in my Twitter feed, I talked about how, you know, three of the national tracks that were just released all showed three to four point movement towards the Democrats. Well, one of those polls, we were up by four and another one, we were down by eight, but it showed us moving from eight to five, right? And that's that's a trend and that's what you have to look at. So, you know, the key is not to get overly freaked out by polling. It's part of our life. It's an important piece of data, but it's not the only thing that matters. Um, and I do think that we are, what is happening in this election cycle is there's a lot now of junky, quick and dirty polls, which are mm -hmm. not terribly accurate, yeah. which are overwhelming some of the more high quality polls. And, and so it's becoming harder just for an average uh, person, right, to... Mm -hmm understand and weigh their way through all this craziness. You know, a perennial source of frustration for Democrats many, many years, as long as I've been following politics, certainly, has been young voters turning out. Where do you see that voting block ending up this year? Are they going to be helpful? Are they going to overperform? Or are, yeah. is it going to be pretty much status quo? Well, I don't think we know yet. And yeah. I think what's really important for people to recognize is that there, this has been one of the biggest changes in American politics. 20 years ago, under 45-year-old voters were a jump ball. It was oh, yeah. yeah. Democrats did not have an advantage uh, of any kind. Now we have between a 15 and 25-point advantage among under 45-year-old voters. We lose over 40, you know, voters over 45. Mm -hmm. And we win voters under 45 by an enormous margin. That margin, if it's 10, you know, there's a big difference between that margin being 10 points and being, you know, 22 points or 23 points, right? Yeah. And so I'm a little worried about what's going to happen with young people in this election. Um, and and uh, let, let me give you sort of the positive case and the negative case. And I, okay. I'm a little worried because I think that Biden's age um, has become material to younger Americans, that he feels very distant and disconnected. And I think it's, but I think that, um, and, and, and I worry that at the end of the day, we're not going to have both the turnout and the performance that we really need. And, and I, I'm worried about it. I, I'm not telling you that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But here's the positive case, right? The thing that's unknown is that there's been a series of things that have happened that have, I think, shaken and woken up young people um, for them, giving them a reason to get into the game. Yeah. And that's the gun violence that we've seen, which is a major voting issue for young people. It's the uh, abortion restrictions, which, you know, affect young people, you know, almost exclusively, mm -hmm. right? People of childbearing age. Um, it's the climate bill that passed, which was the biggest and most important climate bill, you know, in American history, which was something that's a voting issue for young people. Biden also did the student loan forgiveness, which is a huge issue for young people, and also the cannabis reform, the you know yeah. the marijuana reform, and all those things together, I think, you know, could be enough for a marginal young person who's like, you know, I don't really like either party, hmm. and Biden's old, and I don't really feel connected to the Democrats and my candidate in my district. I don't, you know, I'm new to living here. I've moved here to get a job. I don't really know them you know, but I'm going to vote anyway, right? And I think that one of the other things that makes me optimistic is the early vote stuff. I think that what's happening now, you know, is that for two to three weeks, people who are not sure they're going to vote are being, you know, the whole the whole reason we go door knocking and we make phone calls and we text people is that it puts social pressure on people. It's called social pressure, right? It's other people in your community telling you, hey, I voted, I want, you know, you should vote too. 
Well, all these stories about the early vote and all these people voting is now two weeks of social pressure on everybody. Yeah. And and where that may matter the most is with young people for Democrats in a midterm election. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons why it's important for all your audience and your listeners to be talking and promoting the idea that, wow, it's really great for the United States in a time when our democracy is being challenged, that we're seeing such high turnout, you know, record turnout all across the country. It's an affirmation of the strength of our democracy, and hopefully it will encourage other people to vote. I think these are important sentiments that we need to be putting into the electorate, and they're true, right? It's mm-hmm. actually an incredible repudiation of all the Republican BS around the elections and the cheating and everything else that all these people are are voting early. And and what, what what's amazing to me, I was talking to somebody about this today, if the Republicans really believed this election cheating thing, right, if they really believed it, mm-hmm. right, what would you have done? Then you would have encouraged all of your voters to vote early. Yeah, right? yeah. Because then you're like, well, then they can't cheat. They Your vote came in two weeks before. They can't knock it out on election day or discount it or do whatever these dirty Democrats do, right? <laughs> and instead, what they did is they made it more likely their voters weren't going to vote at all yeah. by push, trying to push people to election day, which is just it, – it's a sign of just how bonkers MAGA has gotten mm-hmm. on, on basic fundamental things. I mean, their obvious response to the, their concerns about our democracy – would have been to have encouraged all their voters to vote early, and they didn't do that. In fact, what they're doing is they're depressing their own turnout by, first of all, measuring the drapes way too early. I mean, I think there's a lot of attitude on the Republican side that, oh, we've got this. We, we at least have the House. That's a given. And they're behaving that way, and I think that might depress their turnout on top of what you're saying with the obvious uh, sort of demonization of the early voting process, of the mail-in voting process, which would only otherwise help them, but they've decided because of Trump, whatever delusions he had about all of that, uh, based on his insecurities, uh, oh, we should we should not do that. We should make sure that we avoid voting by mail and doing all the things that could help our side actually win elections. I'm okay with that if that's what they want to do, if that's the approach they want to take. I'm just saying it's probably undermining their own efforts. Yeah, look, they, they made they made as somebody who has been in the expectations game in the last few months and, mm-hmm. you know, on the media, you know, uh, and on TV and stuff, they made an enormous mistake. And and they've made a lot of really big errors this cycle. I mean, first, you know, they ran towards MAGA, a politics that had just been rejected twice by the American people. That was a political mistake. The second thing is that, you know, the, the these radical Supreme Court decisions you know, were a mistake for the Republican Party. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, next, their candidates haven't raised a lot of money. That was a mistake. They didn't do a good job in redistricting, and redistricting came out better for us than we had expected. That was a mistake. Them, you know, declaring it a red wave and telling everybody the election <laughs> was over before it had happened was a mistake, right? And I yep. think that what you, everyone has to realize on at this moment of, like, are we going to win? How much time is I going to spend? Am I going to get disappointed? Keep one thing in mind, right? They're an unbelievable mess. <laughs> they, and the idea yeah, that, exactly this, right. that this party, given all the <laughs> things I just discussed and all of their craziness and lunacy and delusional thinking and you know all this stuff, is going to somehow amount an effective election day operation, 
mm-hmm. right, across the country, it's just not likely, right? <laughs> right. It's just not, it's, I mean, their candidates have very little money. And, and so the idea that somehow after all these mistakes and their lunacy and their craziness and their delusions, they're going to somehow become this formidable force in the last two weeks and take the election away from us, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And and so it, it's just why we have to be relentlessly optimistic because they're crazy. They don't deserve to be in power. They are. They will be dangerous if they are. And we have to leave it all in the playing field. We really only have one choice, right, in terms of how we respond to all of this, which mm-hmm. is we have to work as hard as we possibly can. That's all we can do. Okay, one last break. Back with more Simon Rosenberg after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bob Seska plays more music. And there's a conventional wisdom out there, in spite of everything you just said, which I absolutely agree with, that, oh, well, gas prices and inflation are going to supersede all of the ridiculousness on the Republican side and people will go out and, and vote for them anyway because they're pissed off about gas prices. Is this overshadowing of other positive economic indicators a press creation? Is this yeah. effective Republican messaging? What has caused this kind of eclipsing of things like unemployment being super low? I mean, we're probably going to see positive GDP growth tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. The GDP numbers tomorrow is going to be an opportunity to reintroduce some of the positive accomplishments of yeah. Joe Biden and the Democrats. And just for your listeners, I mean, I, I write about this a lot on my Twitter feed and on my website at NDN.org. Let me just give you a few statistics, right? I mean, just so just to bulk, you know, get people fired up and Perfect. ready to go, right? Yeah, yeah so – Since 1989, when the Cold War ended and we moved to a single global economy, which we had not been until communism fell, um, there have been 44 million jobs created in America. Uh, There's and uh, 42 million of those have been created under Democratic presidents, 96 percent, 42 million Democratic jobs, 2 million Republican jobs. And that's over 18 years of Democratic presidents and 16 years of Republican presidents. So it's about the same amount of time. We've created a lot of jobs. They've done basically nothing, right? Mm -hmm. We've had three consecutive Democratic presidents preside over a a growing economy and vastly lower budget deficits. Three consecutive Republican presidents have led the country to recession and spiraling increasing budget deficits. So the exact opposite of the understanding of the Republican Party being the party of fiscal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Third, Joe Biden's created, there's been 10 million jobs created under Joe Biden so far. That's five times as many as were created in the 16 years of the last three Republicans combined. And 
500,000 jobs a month are being created under Joe Biden. Under the last three Republican presidents, that was 10,000 jobs a month. Mm -hmm. So he's creating jobs at 50 times the rate of the last three Republican presidents. Just incredible. And then finally, my one of my favorite, a couple more <laughs> stats. During Biden's presidency, we've seen the lowest uninsured rate in American history, mm -hmm. the lowest poverty rate in American history, the lowest unemployment rate in a peacetime economy since World War II. We're seeing elevated new business formation. We're having, you know, in a typical month, there'd be about 200,000 uh, small businesses created in America. Under Biden, it's been up at 400,000 consistently now throughout almost his entire presidency. Uh, and we also are seeing wages are up now at a higher rate, going up at a higher rate than they've been in decades. And so, yes, in well, the way I talk about the economy is we've gone through an incredible economic boom. You know, we have all these, you know, millions of jobs being created, incomes are way up for people. The, um, you know, we have a worker shortage throughout the United States, mm -hmm. poverty, uninsured, all, the, you know, we've also made historic investments that are going to create long-term growth for 25 years and help us win the industries of the future, historic investments we've made in the future. And yes, inflation's too high. And, but it's not that inflation's too high and all these other things have happened. These things have happened and inflation's too high. We have a plan for that. And by the way, if you're angry about inflation, high gas prices, you should be angry at Vladimir Putin and MBS of Saudi Arabia, not at Joe Biden. Bingo. They, yeah, they raise gas prices in order to try to push the Democrats from being able to win the election because they don't like what we're doing on clean energy. They don't like what we're doing to preserve democracy in abroad. They don't like Joe Biden's strong leadership. So they use the tools that they had, which is to increase gas prices to try to cause us to lose the election. If Republicans were so angry about rising gas prices, they should be angry at Vladimir Putin and MBS. Mm -hmm. But instead, they're angry at us. So they're now in, in, a, in, a, in essence, a partnership yeah. with uh, mass murderers and autocrats uh, in a political partnership to weaken the Democratic Party and, frankly, weaken the United States. And so... It's a tragedy, and I and I wish we had done a better job. To your point, mm -hmm. I think we have we have work to do. If I could just give my counsel to the family, yeah. the single most important thing we have to do and solve is we should not be losing the economic argument to the Republican Party, given all the data that I just went through, mm -hmm. and the fact that they have a ten to fifteen point advantage on us on the economic issues. We just are not going to be able to get to that point we discussed earlier of getting up to fifty four, fifty five percent. Of the vote if we don't improve the public's understanding of what happens to the economy when we're in power and what happens to the economy when they're in power. So we this is a big party-wide project that we have to take on over the next few years. It, there's, an ur, there's an urgency about this. And certainly, I think, on Thursday, when the GDP numbers come out, I have a feeling you're going to be hearing Joe Biden talk <laughs> incessantly for the next few days about the progress the country's made under his watch. Absolutely. And before I let you go, Simon, yeah. uh, in advance of election night, how should we prepare ourselves emotionally? <laughs> I get the sense from the past couple of uh, national elections that things will initially look bleak and then the early and absentee ballots will start rolling in and we'll start to feel better. How do we set ourselves up for a sort of roller coaster ride uh, two weeks from yesterday? I, I look, I... 
I don't know what we don't know what's going to happen, and I think there are going to be surprises. I think you know, drinking a lot is probably a good idea <laughs> on election good night. Advice, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's probably my, uh, you know, and I think it, we probably you know be prepared if you really you know to stay up very late because there's going to be very consequential elections in the West mm-hmm. Coast and and in the Western part of the United States. Um, and so you know, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I will be look I. There's some elections that I've nailed and other elections I've I've misread and gotten wrong. I my instinct on this is that this is going to be very very close and that neither yeah. side is going to put this election away and that it will and that and therefore it we just won't know until election night the day after. And I know that part of the reason the Republicans are trying to push everyone to election day is to sort of get that immediate thing so it looks like the Democrats are manipulating. But I, I think the media is too smart for that now. And I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to let them get away with that. And, you know, they're going to try to declare the election over at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. I just think it's going to be perceived by the national media and the TV folks as being ridiculous. And and I think there's a an understanding about this now. I think last time they got kind of caught, right? Because the Republicans have never tried that before. Yeah. So I just think that what I just, let me close with this advice. Okay. And is that you don't want to be sitting there on Tuesday night at eight o'clock and and think think, you know, I should have done another shift of calls into Pennsylvania on Sunday, and I should have given fifty more bucks. You can't have any regrets, folks. Yep. Right? You got to do everything you can, and everything you do matters. You know, whether it's texting, phone calling, canvassing. Uh, giving money, you know, tweeting, bothering all your friends to go vote early, however you bother them. Every single step you take, it matters. It all matters. Mm -hmm. And imagine millions and millions of people taking those steps together. Um, The chorus gets very loud when that happens. And so, you know, just do what you can. And there is no right or wrong about what that is. There's just what you can do. And just go do as much of it as you can before now on election day. And Fingers crossed, everybody. And Bob, thanks for your great work. Seriously, thank you for what you do. Thank you, Simon. Yeah, we got to leave it all on the field, as they say. So you have to follow Simon Rosenberg on Twitter at SimonWDC. Link in the description. The same with the website NDN.org. Thank you again, my friend. This has been invaluable. I can't tell you. Uh, So I really, really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks so much, Bob. Good luck with everything. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Well, I've been twisting this play. Is then dismay